0: You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.
1: going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America, Can We Talk? with Debbie George-Addis. On America, Can We Talk? We talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America, Can We Talk? starts now.
2: Good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk, this is Debbie Georgiades, thanks so very much for tuning in, we're having some technical difficulties, but I have two brilliant people here solving them, so sorry if we start a tiny bit late. This is America Can We Talk, and in my first five segment tonight, I want to talk to all of you out there who are never Trumpers, or who are so um, still deciding what you can handle doing in this election cycle. because. I'm a pretty big activist on the conservative side. I'm not happy with Republicans about half the time, but I'm a conservative activist. I want there to be the kind of country that the Constitution was supposed to create. And a lot of people right now are just unsettled trying to figure out what they should do in this election cycle. So I want to just step back and remind you what Ronald Reagan asked America one week before his election in 1980. He said, are you better off now than you were four years ago? And I want you to actually think about where we stand in America from four years ago and from eight years ago. And just make the argument that Donald Duck should be able to defeat any Democrat running in this election cycle. Donald Duck should be able to defeat Hillary Clinton. And most certainly, Donald Trump should be able to. So I want to just talk to you about where we are in America, where we are, where this country is compared to four and eight years ago. And I'm going to do a run through at breakneck speed. Well, let me point this out. Real clear politics. The average of polling says that nearly 70 percent of Americans say the country's on the wrong track. Nearly 70 percent. Monmouth, this is a very painful poll, said not only are, do 47 or if you add them together a great deal are somewhat concerned, 78 percent of people say their way of life in America is under threat now. And 61% say they first personally feel their own personal way of life is under threat. People are deeply unsettled, concerned, and upset about America's direction. On top of that, we had in the primaries this year, we had a massive turnout in the GOP side. And we had a downturn, a massive downturn in the Democrat polls and and Democrat turnout in the primary, meaning that we had a lot of energy on the conservative side and not much on the Democrat side. And yet here we are. This show is in August of 2016, and we are looking at polls that look like Donald Trump could actually get defeated in the fall or probably will get defeated if the polls are accurate in this uh, election cycle this fall. So let me just tie a couple of things back to our are we better off than were four or eight years ago. Islamic violence is on the rise around the world. Brussels, Paris, Nice, everywhere you look, in the United States, in Orlando, in San Bernardino, in Boston, Islamic violence is on the rise in America under this president because of their attitude that is not a strong America, racial tension at its all time worst in 50 years we had just last night a, a riots in milwaukee sparked by an officer shooting a young man who was armed and before anyone knows the facts the the racial tension is so high in our country that the uh these rioters burned down a gas station burned down buildings uh fire department couldn't even get there to put the fires out they lit a store on fire that had three employees inside who fortunately did escape but we have racial tension on steroids in america at this time we have a completely insecure border we have obamacare the president promising if you like your insurance you can keep it but instead we have we're heading toward a single-payer system president obama's already admitted that the uh, actual uh, obamacare is not working and they're going to have to go on a single-payer and then you turn to the economy u.s home ownership rates are way down Despite rosy pictures painted by Washington, homeownership down to 63.4%. That is down, that is the lowest um, since, anyways, down, down, it's way low. I'm sorry, I don't have those numbers quickly enough in front of me. Another huge measure of the economy is economic growth, which is just barely above zero. The economic growth is what gives jobs and a future to our country. It's down to nothing. The labor force participation rate is at 62.7%. We literally, people who are physically and mentally capable are not working. And then let's turn to Hillary. And this condition, folks, going back to to what Reagan said in 1980, there should be no Democrat on the planet who could win this election. But here you have Hillary, you know, her mendacity, never, 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 uh, (laughs) never be believed. She has Hillary sniper fire Clinton. She tells lies that are absolutely provably false, tells them over and over and over. And no one knows. and, And there's no accountability. There's no end to it. She just... Places lies like that. Benghazi, much bigger lie than even we thought. She lied about the reason. She lied about the uh, what ha- caused the attacks in Benghazi. She got caught at that. Actually, it was a riot. It was Islamic protesters. It wasn't a video. She lied about when she knew that, which was the night it happened. She lied about not bringing in assets in. Now, more recently released emails have showed that she, in fact had um, assets in place, people emailing her saying, we're we're, we're revving up the engines, we're ready to roll, tell us when to go in. And she wouldn't send them in. And this woman, I mean, the Clinton Foundation scandals, the pay-for-play, this is a woman so scandal-plagued, she shouldn't be able to win at anything. But where she is now, she's actually apparently on track to become president so if you don't want socialism if you don't want the misery we have you gotta go for trump regardless of what else you think about him come back after the break i'll tell you more all about that Welcome back to America, Can We Ever Talk? This is Debbie George Addis. You know, I had a um, segment the first hour. Where I was talking my first five, and that's a really important segment to me. I try to hit one thing, and I didn't close in the way I wanted to, so I'm just going to add this point now. The whole idea in this election cycle that there are so many conservatives, and they're actually establishment Republicans— who are upset about the Donald Trump ended up being the choice, there are conservatives, the constitutional conservatives, the kind of Tea Party types who are upset that Donald Trump ended up being the nominee. But I want to kind of summarize the point I was making about, you know, Reagan asked, you know, in the year 1980, are you better off than four years ago? You know, and he was speaking then of what was happening under uh, President Jimmy Carter's presidency. But I want to just say the big idea I want to plant and get people thinking about is, Just step back from the immediacy of the kinds of things that Donald Trump says that might upset you, the kinds of things that you're unsure about, and just look at the trajectory of America. Look what our country, what is happening to our country. Look at the growth in the idea, the masses of people thinking that their purpose in life is to vote for people who will give them more government assistance. Their purpose in life is to make sure they get increases in uh, welfare of all kinds, food stamps, housing assistance. Look at the picture of America the world sees. They no longer see the city of the Shining Hill. They no longer see America as a leader, as a standard bearer for liberty. They see us as weak, as lost, as having no roots. And the thing is, folks, Hillary is Barack Obama on steroids she will continue our path towards socialism she will continue our path toward a bigger government more government regulation more taxes more government control over industry more government control of your life more crushing of the liberties spelled out in the bill of rights because that's what she thinks government is it's not i'm not saying she's she might be a bad person but this doesn't make her a bad person. It's just who she is. This is how she sees the role of government. It's how she sees her job. It is to control people. It is to grow the growth, to grow and expand the depth and the breadth of the federal government's control over everything in your life. She will take Obamacare to single payer. You will have the crummy, awful healthcare system that they have in Canada and England and everyone with any money who lives in Canada and England comes to America because we had had up until now the best healthcare system on earth. This is the trajectory our country's on under President Obama. A just a, a miserable economy, no growth. And you think about this idea of home ownership. I want to comment on that. You might say, well, you know, either what do I care? I own a home or what difference does that make? Home ownership is a symbol of economic confidence. Think when you're just out of college you wouldn't. Most people cannot get a college and buy a house. Even when they have their first job, they have to think now. My payments are going to be this. I have to save toward a down payment. I have to be sure. I'm pretty confident I'll have a job, because if they don't think that, they won't make the commitment of buying a home. Home ownership isn't just about the fact that Americans are fearful and they're afraid to spend money. They're afraid of the economy in the future. They're afraid that the jobs won't stay because the government is, you know, talk about just a specific industry. Anything related to energy is Hillary's openly threatening it. She's happy to crush down and announce she will destroy the coal industry. She announced she will expand controls in the name of alleged climate change, uh, which of which there is no such thing. But she will expand government regulation over uh, all sorts of energy producers. This is a direction of misery and poverty for America. On top of that, she has, in a time, and let me just, this I didn't get to this in the, in the first five and I just have to say this point. In Germany, the German intelligence sources announced this week they have discovered, shock of all shocks, ISIS terrorists within the midst of the Islamic refugees who were brought into Germany. Now, Everyone with a with their eyes open has been pointing this out. That when you bring in thousands of refugees from North Africa, from Syria, from all over the Middle East, from Arabic countries, who are Muslim, you might be bringing a terrorist in. And and you know Angela Merkel, for whatever reason, can't seem to grasp this. But now the German intelligence forces announced, yes, actually, we've discovered we brought in with the refugees a bunch of ISIS people. And so here we are in America. We have one guy saying we have to clamp down on this Islamic immigration to America until we can figure out a better way to vet them because we don't want to bring more San Bernardino killers here. And we have Hillary saying, bring it on. Increase by over 500 percent the number of Islamic refugees we'll bring to America. Folks, you know what? I have friends who say, don't tell me I have to vote for Donald Trump. I do not have to. And you know what? You don't have to. You don't have to. And I have dear friends who are, I mean, you know, heart and soul, patriotic, America loving, who are just saying, I can barely stand it. And folks, I know because I, as any listener to the show knows, I was not a Trump person. I saw him and I still see him as, he's not the guy I wanted, but you have to recognize that big picture, direction of the country, look where Barack Obama has taken us and Hillary will be worse. And you're gonna feel responsible and you will be responsible if you don't do, at some point, get on board with the idea, the goal in this election is to stop Hillary. I, I will say some good things about um, about Donald Trump throughout this show tonight. We'll talk about his pluses, his minuses, things he said. But this is, folks, this is like America under under siege from the American left, from internal forces. And you can't choose someone who's already in that army. You can't have her. So, okay, I'm going to turn now. I one in this segment, and I still have, uh, apparently I have no time. okay My my thing is not working. I can't tell if I have any time left. Um, the clock's not working here. I don't have, okay. Um, okay, we're having a funky time with our clock tonight. So I can't tell how much time I have left um, in this segment. Are you seven minutes? Okay, I have seven minutes. Okay. Oh, well, I'll try to fix this clock here while I'm talking to you. But anyway, what I wanted to turn to was the... Um, uh, three minutes. Okay, <laughs> we're having a hard time with our clock here tonight, but it's great to be here. Okay, I want to turn to briefly and just mention the Clock Boy case. Okay, there I have it. Three minutes and 23 seconds. Okay, you may have heard, and America heard, when uh, in, in the great state of Texas, in a school district in Irving, a, a boy brought to school something in a um, kind of a briefcase-looking thing that looked to any normal person like it was a homemade bomb. He brought this to school and, um, in his, and this child was Muslim. His family's Muslim. And he brought it to school and it caused alarm at the school. And the long and short of it was he acted coy when he was asked, you know, what is that thing? What is that? Well, he finally, you know, later in the day, but first thing in the morning, he told one teacher, but later in the day being questioned, he was coy. He was non-responsive and. Shockingly, a public school thought they ought to take action when a student brings something to school that looks like a bomb and doesn't want to answer your questions about it so the case went on long story short it turned out this boy had made and he didn't really make a homemade clock he bought a clock at a radio shack type place took it apart put it back together and was trying to show his, his, his you know scientific prowess at making a clock but the point is he caused alarm he ended up being briefly charged with a crime and then they dropped the charges he was arrested and he was suspended end of the story and he never went back to that school anymore but this young man has now filed a lawsuit Lawsuit. People, the short-term reference to this case is the Clockboy case, but this young man moved to, with his family, moved to the country of Qatar, went into, um, stayed in Qatar, uh, went to school there, but now they're back, and they have filed a lawsuit for millions of dollars against the school district in Irving, and so I want to just say a couple really important things. This case got national attention, the Washington Post is writing up about it, and, you know, papers around the country, and this is a kind of good litmus test analysis when you meet someone, you know, what they think about the clockboy case. Because to me, to any, in my view, sane American, if this kid was a Norwegian Lutheran, whatever religion he was, if he was atheist, if he showed up at school with something that looked like a bomb and he acted coy and non-responsive and and didn't just step right up and say, it's a homemade clock, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to alarm anybody. You know, whatever religion he was, they would have pounced. You can't let a kid bring something to school. It looks like a clock. But on top of that, this boy's family, instead of what any normal parent would do, would say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry my child upset the school. I'm so sorry I got people concerned. You know, he loves playing, put, putting things together. You know, I'll make sure next time he calls ahead. Make sure. You would have done something and said, So sorry for the alarm I caused. These parents called a press conference and have been, you know, and, and they are both, especially the dad, an Islamic activist. Called a press conference trying to make a scene about this whole um, th- this that he was being discriminated against and picked on because he's a Muslim. And I got to tell you, folks, if you, this case, if we can't get a jury in the gray state of Texas to say zero dollars, nothing to this family, we're really in trouble. Because the litmus test part is, if you hear those facts and you think, gee, that poor child, here he was, so creative and so clever, and he got picked on by these irrational people, folks, we have to be able to use common sense in America. So this case is going to go on and on. This is the um, this Muslim uh, case has been written up, but I'm going to tell you one more thing. Um, about it in the next segment. But coming at the next segment we have a fabulous guest joining us, Nani Darwish, who was a former Muslim, now Christian. Again tell us all what she knows about the comparison of those two religions. Don't go away. Welcome back to America Can We Talk this is Debbie George Addison joined by my leading ladies here tonight there we're gonna chime in, a little, chime in a little bit early tonight we have Mari Sullivan, Lori Medina and I have online a guest I mentioned before the break Nani Darwish she's been on the show a couple times I think but anyway hi Nani do we have you okay we don't have her yet, but while we're waiting to get her hi Nani oh.
3: Hi, Debbie. (laughs) How
2: are you? I am fine. I'm so glad to have you. Well, you know, I didn't before the break get a chance to tell our listeners. I'm just going to briefly introduce you and then jump into your new book. But Nani Darwish is uh, an author. She's an American author, but she grew up um, in, it was Egypt, right?
3: Correct. I was born and raised in Cairo, Egypt, and also in the Gaza Strip as a child.
2: Okay, so you have a life experience a lot of Americans cannot particularly picture well, and Nani grew up in a Muslim family. She is now Christian, and her previous books, which I've read and love, Now They Call Me Infidel, Cruel and Unusual Punishment, and the third one is The Devil We Don't Know. And so, but tonight, what I wanted to have Nani on was, I think before 9-11... Most people or many Americans didn't really have any clue about what Islam teaches versus Christianity. It was just known as one of the world's, you know, large religions. But you're writing a book, you have a new book coming out called Wholly Different Islamic Values Versus Biblical Values. So first of all, can you tell me, why why are you writing this?
3: Uh, It's uh, very important because a lot of people in the United States and the West in general think that all religions teach the same thing. We are told they all share the same values, they all are uh, biblical based, and actually a lot of Muslims and Muslim defenders always say we're biblically based, so we're not, we're not really very different from Christianity. When in fact, Islamic values are the total opposite to biblical values, and that is why I'm writing the book, because the American people have to understand that Islam, even though it's, it's a religion uh, that is uh, a, a major world religion, and even though it, it is from the Middle East, from the same area where the Bible came, but it has values that are totally in rejection of the values of the Bible.
2: I just love hearing you say that. And, you know, honestly, Nani, I was one of the Americans on you know, 9-11. I really, besides taking one comparative religion class in college, I didn't know much about Islam, and it's always explained in very kind of neutral terms. You know, they just have a different name for God, and it's Allah. But I think over the time since nine eleven more and more Americans have tuned in, basically wondering why are all these um, Muslims so angry? Why are they killing people? Why are they committing um, jihad? Why are they doing what they're doing around the world? So you're just in a perfect position, perfect seat to describe Islamic values versus biblical values because you now actually know about both of them. So, you know, I, I have a very long list in front of me, but what, can you, if you, uh, if you would, just tell about one or two of the really big differences between Islam and Christianity?
3: A major difference uh, is the concept of jihad in the bible uh, jesus uh, God of the Bible uh, says that vengeance is mine. He never asked Christians or Jews to take uh, to be God on earth and take vengeance on his behalf, uh, but Islam does, and this is a major a uh, major difference islam already uh, or the allah the god of islam split people between good and be good people and evil people dar al harb dar al islam who are the good people they are all the muslims who are the innocent people who are the non sinners they are the muslims who are the sinners in the mind of the of Islamic uh, doctrine. They are the non-Muslims. So what is the job of the Muslim? The job of the Muslim is to punish the non-Muslims with their hand, but God of, of the Quran tells them, it's not your hand, it's really my hand, so don't feel guilty about it. It's my hand, and I'm using you to kill and either convert them to Islam or kill them. And this is the theory of jihad. This is the truth, and this is the crux of the problem of Islam. And w- uh, the Allah of Islam does not only, um, he, he uses the, the uh, doctrine, and it's an Islamic doctrine. It's called the doctrine of luring and terror. What's the doctrine of luring and terror? And if you go on Google and put in tarhib, what tarhib? it's Arabic for luring and terror. Tarhib means terrorizing. Tarib means luring, and this is the theory, is to lure Muslims, lure people to convert to Islam. If it doesn't work, they kill them, okay? And this is jihad. You know what, Jim?
2: Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, and God rewards them, rewards Muslims by lots of promises of the best kind of life on earth, and if they die, they are guaranteed heaven and their sins are for totally forgiven. It doesn't matter what they do. If they have violated all the Ten Commandments, if they have violated every everything dear to, to life, even if they never uh, prayed or done all the requirements by Islam, the Islamic prayer and fasting and all of all of that—they are totally given heaven uh, without question. So, Muslim men are completely devoted to to this idea in their mind of the heaven of Islam, which is full of all these sexual and luring and flesh pleasure. Islam has a very flesh kind of pleasure. Called paradise, the Islamic paradise, and a lot of Muslim men believe in it. In fact, it's it's unbelievable how they believe in it. Uh, to me, sometimes I, you know, we all doubt: is there really a heaven and a, uh, and a hell? Uh, we we do that and we try to try understand things. In in Islam, there is no doubt. There is no doubt. They are following the the luring so much, and then they use the terror. So, uh, so this is this is the crux of the difference between Islam, which Allah gives Muslims the right to do the vengeance on His behalf on Earth.
2: Okay, Nani, that is so. You know, your this show, America, can we talk? is in north texas other places but it's in north texas it's a so it's a, a place where probably many people listening we aren't christian and um you know catholics and christians and all and and our jewish friends listen so we i think a lot of people just they do assume that many religions probably have same come, some of the basic ideas but what you just described reminded me of something my husband had pointed out about <laughs> islam which is you know what kind of religion paints heaven Mm-hmm. As a place with seventy-two virgins, as though the result of a g- good life, live and salvation is 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 sexual pleasure. It's just the opposite of what of, it, and and actually, I'm glad to have you confirm that. That is, but it's just the most opposite of kind of thinking than you would find in, in um, any other village I'm aware of. It's amazing. It's not just that;
3: it's sexual pleasures with not your wives. Your wives on earth are looked down upon. There are are some um, uh, hadiths in Islam that says, oh, you're going to have much better than your wife. All these wives? Oh, forget about these wives. You're going to have 72 virgins. So it, it has no respect to the wife. In fact, Islam, for the sake of... The number one value in Islam is not the family, and this is another section in my book and by the way my book is not religious i'm not uh, it's, it's a comparison between the values of the books of islam between the bible what what are the values because you can be secular in america but you have biblical values you don't want to kill you don't want to steal you don't want the 10 commandments this is something shared in, in Western culture, whether, whether you're secular, religious. So these values are very important for Western people, regardless of whether you're religious or not. And that's why I have to speak and tell, and tell uh, the West what are you, what's at stake
2: here. Oh my gosh! We are speaking with Nani Darwish. This is Debbie Georgatos and America. Can we talk? And I have my leading ladies here. We're going to chime in the next segment. Mari Sullivan, Lori Medina, Nani. Please hold on during the break because I want to ask you a few more questions about Islam, and then I want to turn and ask you a few things about this clockboy case that has come to light in um, Texas. I'm sure you're aware yeah, of. So, of course, come back right after the break, folks. Back to America Can We Talk? We are speaking with a just fabulous guest tonight. I'm just thrilled to have her on the show, Nani Darwish, and she is an author. I mentioned her books earlier, but the reason we're talking tonight is that she has a new book coming out. It's called Holy Different Islamic Values Versus Biblical Values. We've been talking about the assumption too many people make that probably all religions, more or less, have the same teachings, and that is just untrue. And Nani is in a very unique position, having grown up um, in the, in Egypt and the Gaza Strip as a Muslim and coming to America and now being Christian. And so I want to have her um, talk a bit more about the book, but I also want to give you a quick chance. To, can our listeners already get a copy? What's the story on getting a copy of your book, Nani?
3: Well, it's coming out in January, so you can pre-order a little bit early, but you can pre-order, and it's going to be out, uh, you know, soon at the end so, of the year.
2: So you can go on to Amazon and pre-order. You think, or is that it?
3: Yeah, that's correct.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to get it. Honestly, I'm telling you, Nani, I was thinking about this. Um, I'm getting my kids, um, I'm going to pre-order a copy for them, because these are some things, even my, my kids sometimes don't believe, I think, my adult kids, that, you know, my, my concerns about Islam are justified. So I love that you have this book coming out, and you're...
3: Absolutely. You can't believe this book. Even I, who lived 30 years of my life under Islam, and I lived uh, 37 years under the Bible in america so even i when i was doing the research to do this book i mean my jaw was dropping yeah uh, uh, constantly as i was doing my research because every hunch i knew i knew that was something was wrong in islam's priorities but i didn't know how far it goes can you believe that islam uh the, the number one priority in islam is not the family. In Christianity it's God then the family and then country. In Islam is jihad. So the number one priority for for Muslims is jihad. And uh I read that in uh there was a uh, a hadith by uh by Muhammad and he was asked uh what what is the most The best Muslim. Who is the best Muslim in your eye? And he said, without a doubt, it's the jihadist, the jihadist believer. So, uh, so
2: astonishing, just yeah.
3: So, though, and that's why the only human in under Islam who is guaranteed heaven is the jihadist. So, most Muslims don 't understand that there is a conflict between ve- family values and the jihad values. They have no clue that they are living not under family values they're living under jihad values and even these laws, it took me a while for me to really uh f- figure them um, for for instance the, the, uh, uh, you know, the number one priority of Islam. uh, Like I said, it's it's not the family. It's jihad. And Nani,
1: Nani, this is Lori. Um, I appreciate so much you making the distinction between uh, the Bible and the Quran. You know, something I find interesting, I'm a Christian, and uh, I find interesting with these, what I refer to as a man-made religion, Islam, that in this man-made religion, they seem to always repress women. (laughs) And that they're, you know, the oppression of women is is such a central part to me of Islam. Um, You know, my question is to you, why do the women continue to live under this oppression? And secondly, why do women in America, particularly Hillary Clinton and leftist women believers like herself, why are they friendly with Islam if this if if this is what the Quran teaches of this male domination and this oppression of women?
3: a question uh, I have a whole chapter on it. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Islam because it has it it you know jihad is the most important thing in Islam, and because jihad is the most important thing, everything has been sacrificed for the for the for. the purpose of jihad the family was sacrificed and the woman and the sacredness of marriage one man, one woman has been sacrificed in Islam in fact Islam, the number one enemy of jihad is the woman and that's why the woman in Islam had to be oppressed why? and I discovered that I did so much research, and I'm so happy you asked this question. Why is the suppression of women necessary in Islam? Mm-hmm. The reason is because a happy married man who loves his one and only wife will not go do
2: jihad. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's such a he good will word.
3: not go do jihad. So mm-hmm. the woman became became by nature of the jihad doctrine, the enemy number one of Islam. Mm. And uh, 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 so this is something that I discovered the link. The link is in so much literature in Islam that the woman had to be completely destroyed as evil in the eyes of man.
4: Mm. Nani, can I ask a question? This is Mari. I'm so interested in your pointing out that the family is not a real value in Islam.
2: You, is, know, you see these pictures something. of these
4: kids, it, it, little jihadis who are five years old, and their moms are saying, get out there and be a suicide bomber. Exactly. Can you shed some light on that?
3: Exactly. I have a whole chapter explaining exactly why this is so. And there is an, a section about Islamic feminism, What is Islamic feminism? Who is rewarded? Who are the women rewarded in Islamic society? It's not the most devoted mother who loves her kids, and she doesn't want to send them to jihad. That's not the woman who's respected in Islam. The women who are respected in Islam are the ones who stand in front of the camera and say, I gave four sons to jihad, and I'm ready to give the rest of my kids... I personally lost my father to the jihad, and I, I was only eight years old. And I saw, after his death, in the funeral, people congratulating us that he's now in heaven. He's a shaheed in heaven.
4: yeah sp- broke
3: yeah. my heart as a child. And Part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now is I want I want
4: America to know. It's very important. Thank you. Thank we're, you.
2: Yeah, we're talking to Nani Darwish, and she is the author of a new book coming out, wholly different Islamic values versus biblical values. I want to switch if we can, and and I just can't thank you enough for spelling out those kind of things. And I, I would just say that notion of a mother thinking that she's a, she's doing anything good by encouraging her child to commit jihad. This is so contrary to the maternal instinct, so contrary to the nature of men and women. It is, anyway, but we're, that's what I just think. But I want to leap forward because we're, we always run out of time, and I love talking to you, Nani. So today, here, here in the great state of Texas, we have a lawsuit that's been filed by a young boy who was attending school in Irving, Texas, and he brought, you know, the, the Clockboy case. He brought this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thing. Okay, so I guess the first thing I want to ask you was, um, we have talked about before this idea of civilization jihad this idea that jihad isn't just to i mean it is what you're describing but they will jihad can take many forms including just completely undermining american society our civilization and so do you see this lawsuit by this young man this boy his it's really his parents putting it, him up to it but do you see that lawsuit as a part of civilization jihad
3: oh absolutely but i uh I find that there are some elements in American society that have already made a compromise regarding Islam. They are, uh, there, there is a culture in America that, do, that, that wants to normalize Islamic jihad. So if you find a little boy bringing in a clock that looks like a bomb, And uh, the teacher uh, calls the police. Naturally, she wants to protect her class. And uh, so now the blame is on the teacher. Why? It doesn't, Islam is not that powerful. It has not, uh, it it has not given itself this status by, by coincidence. I think there are some forces inside America that, Allowing this boy to do what he's doing, giving them honor to visit the White House, making him a hero instead of being ashamed of himself and uh, for his family to look at him uh, as a victim. Uh, is is just we are breeding our own terrorists in
2: America now. I, yeah, I love that, and I want to jump and say on that note, we have about a minute and a half left. We're speaking to Nani Darwish, who is the author of a new book. Holy! I want to be sure they get this name, Nani, because I just can't. I can't wait to read it myself. Holy! Mm-hmm. Different Islamic values versus biblical values. But on that subject of this boy's lawsuit and his family's lawsuit against the Irving schools, mm-hmm. it seems to me that even if he loses. Mm-hmm. Even if a jury finds for the school and just says mm-hmm. no money to you, mm-hmm. they still succeeded a little bit with the civilization jihad because the next school is having some incident. The next public official, the next stranger at the airport is going to think, I don't want to get sued. I don't
3: want to, exactly, exactly, or I don't want to get fired. I mean, we have, we, uh, things are upside down in America today and we are getting bit By the the values of Islam, we are we are sympathizing to it. We are uh, uh, this is really scary for me, because when I came to America, anything like that would would America would unite behind it. Uh, Unfortunately, we are becoming a culture of tolerance for terrorism. And look who was sitting behind Hillary. Look at look who was sitting behind her. He was invited by the Democratic Party.
2: Yep, he sure was. we are speaking of the father, of the Orlando um, uh, jihadist. So, we're, Nani Darwish, I cannot thank you enough, not just for your call tonight, but for the books you write, for your bravery in speaking out. You have to be unpopular in some Muslim circles, I'm going to guess, for exposing what you're doing. So I just want to thank you for your efforts so much, and thanks for calling in. Thank you so much. My pleasure. We spoke with Nani Darwish, do get her book, I'll say the name again in the second hour. Coming up in the second hour, uh, I want to talk to you, our kind of round table rapid fire thing is going to be about this whole idea whether uh, Donald Trump is smart to attack the media, which uh, he sure is doing, so come back after the break.
0: RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio. I am a man.
1: Time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America
2: and welcome back to america can we talk this is debbie Georgiadis. i'm joined by my leading ladies in the second hour tonight mari Sullivan and Lori medina i want to thank again our guest in the last hour nani darwish and i meant to spell her name for you d-a-r-w-i-s-h she's a former uh, egyptian muslim she is an american christian now she is speaking from the heart and from her own knowledge about the profound differences between Islam and Christianity and the kind of society they create, the core beliefs that really we're seeing played out in this G- world of jihad uh, as we're all watching around the globe. So but in our second hour, as all our listeners know, we always have our roundtable rapid fire. And this week we have had just an amazing uh, flurry of media about Donald Trump's campaign. Is he doing well? Or, or, you know, in Hillary's campaign, how are the numbers looking? So I just want to start with, and I don't know... Um, if we have this clip, but one thing Donald Trump said that he's essentially running his campaign not against Hillary, but against. Do we have that clip?
4: I'm not running against crooked Hillary, Clinton. I'm running against the
0: crooked media. That's what I'm running against. But these are the most
2: dishonest people. Failing at New York Times. The newspaper's going to hell. Crooked CNN. CNN is so disgusting. CNN.
3: Oh, look, their camera just shut off. (laughs) Their camera just went off. That's funny. I got
0: to know all the cameras, all those red lights on.
2: Okay, folks, that's Donald Trump. And he. And actually, this has been a, a big story this week. He's essentially very openly, he's engaging against the media. And so the question is, I'm going to start with Lori and just say, is this a smart move? I mean, do you think the media is really unfair, unfair to him? But number one, but number two, is this a smart move for Donald Trump? Uh, okay, is this unfair of the
1: media? No, of course not. But hello, uh, the media hates any Republican. So this is just life in America, life in USA as we know it. Uh, is this the right thing to do for Trump to run against the crooked media? No, absolutely not. What is on, What name is on the ballot, folks? <laughs> what name? It's going to be Donald J. Trump and it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Crooked media is not going to be listed on that ballot. Now when he says things like this, yes, that might rally the fan base and that might get uh some people to whoop it up and yell and and you know, who doesn't love poking the media? Because let's face it folks, if if when they do polls of uh who is most trusted in America, uh media usually ranks lower than used car salesmen. Absolutely. So yeah. and congressmen. <laughs> it's like it's a close <laughs> it's a close tie between the two. So uh but the point is is that At this point, if he really thinks he's running against the crooked media, if he really believes they're crooked, then you know what he should do? He should stop being on the mainstream media. He needs to only make himself available to non-mainstream media. And you know what would happen then? There would be a vacuum. And who would the mainstream media fill that vacuum with? Her Highness Hillary So and that would be a good thing for us because it would pull Trump back a little bit and it would allow Hillary to fumble, fall up the steps, uh, allow her to uh, say all these crazy things that she does.
2: Okay, And so that's Lori's answer to our roundtable rapid fire question, which was, is Trump doing a good thing or a bad thing to say he's in a war on the media?
4: Well, I think he's doing a good thing. I like the fact that he's taking the media on. They need to be taken on because they are so blatantly into Trump bashing. Absolutely. And they're allowing Hillary to hide. She can hide because they're carrying the water for her. And her only way to the White House is for them to say that he is dangerous, he's not fit to be commander-in-chief, and that's exactly what they're doing. There's a New York Times reporter who is a media reporter who says – Trump is testing the norms of objectivity in journalism. He all, he lays out in that article that it's perfectly all right to be oppositional to Donald Trump because this reporter, Rutenberg, has concluded that Trump is dangerous. Hmm. Can you be oppositional and objective? I thought the New York Times mantra was all the news that's fit to print. Their new mantra is all the Trump bashing that we can print every day and twice on Sunday because we've got to get corrupt Hillary elected, yes, he needs to take on the media.
2: Okay, so that was actually really good. You know, I will say, my two cents on I started this little... I'm trying to get better using Twitter more often. I started this, this hashtag, essentially, Trump the media, to make the point that the media will report things about Donald Trump that either... Not that they didn't happen entirely. They will contort his words. They will take words that you could hear many different ways. Uh, A recent example being, you know, that Donald Trump said, essentially, that Obama and Hillary are the founder of ISIS. Well, you know what? Everyone knew what he meant, That, you know, their their political decisions, their foreign policy decisions allowed for the creation of ISIS. He didn't really mean, and everybody knows he didn't mean, that they, you know, had a club meeting organization, created bylaws, and created the ISIS. But the media went nuts for a week, and frankly, some really disrespectful Republicans piled on. So, to me, Trump does get, you know, he got... Uh, He just got way too much media praise during the primary. I think it deluded him into thinking that the media was going to stick with him in the general. And then he's discovering, as a matter of fact, they don't like me at all. They contort his words. They take phrases that everyone knows don't really mean what he said, and they use them. So I do think that the media is very harsh on him. But I do think at the end of the day, Hillary is... There are so many things he could be talking about, right. so many things that she does wrong. Right. So I really urge our listeners and my dump the Trump, um, um, Trump the media on uh, Twitter It's all about the idea. Just because you hear CBS, CNN, ABC, any of them say anything, you got to look for yourself. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I have my leading ladies, Mari Sullivan and Lori Medina. And we if you think we sound wound up on the air, you should hear in the breaks, actually. It's almost or maybe not. better or worse. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to here in the breaks. But, you know, here's the big, uh, I think, confusion or, or just disagreement that I think a lot of people are having this conversation. And it's basically this I agree the media is, they are never going to give Trump a break. Any no. day, any issue, any way they can control what he says. I also think he doesn't help himself. He doesn't work that hard to become more articulate. He could stand to listen to some people and, and speak a little better sometimes. But the real thing is are we actually in this in this election cycle going to just do the and I tell you I have these big get togos with friends I hear them say things like oh but I met him he's really nice I met his or you know I, I know people who won't say out loud they're not going to that they're going to vote for him but they are folks you know what the polls are not 100% reliable they are not but they're also not nothing and right. so I did today, I sat down with the uh, Real, Clear Poll, Real Clear Politics polls, which take you know the top polls, most recent polls, and, and tons and tons of them, and essentially went through in every swing state and said, how are we doing? Because at the end of the day, folks, Trump is going to win Texas. Hillary's going to win California. And so we have a lot of states that, you know, it's great to campaign, you get your message out, but you're not really going to turn the state. You can argue about that number, but it's about 11 states who are going to decide this. And in those 11 states, some of them have many more electoral college votes than others do. So they matter more. And in those, I, I, I'm saying all this because I think that Hillary Clinton will be devastating for America. We cannot have four more years of Obama's you know, kind of slow, slithering down the path to socialism. A weak American foreign policy. A failure to defend our people, our culture, our religious freedom. A failure to defend the rights spelled out in the in the Bill of Rights. We can't have four more years of that. So I really ardently don't want Hillary. And nobody else running can win, can beat Hillary, except Donald Trump. But that does not mean that I'm going to turn into the Donald Trump cheerleading show. That's not what this is. This is about America. And sometimes you got to tell tough truths about America. And right now where we are, even though Donald Trump swept the primaries, and even though he had a massive record turnout in the primaries, and Hillary had a record low turnout, at the end of the day, Hillary's up she's up she's up in most of the swing states i would say all the swing states we can battle about a few polls the question is not to ignore that. It is what do we do about some turn to lori right. first that so okay mari first this time if you want so what do we do about that
4: well i think uh the, the major issue with trump is he is ambiguous and so when he gets up there and talks to his crowds he says things that are not uh, completely developed because that's his style. His style is very one-on-one. I'm talking to uh, this group of people, and we're on a roll, and he is very charismatic, and he connects with people, so it's very conversational. That is totally new. He's got a whole new way of messaging. And what I find so interesting, I have never seen such a visceral, mean, vicious media attack this guy every day. Like Rush said, if bashing Trump were an Olympic event... The media would win every medal, and that's so true. So you got to take the media's polls with a grain of salt. I really think that uh, Trump is tightening up from what I've seen, and I've even seen him ahead in uh, uh, Ohio. He's tightening up in Florida, Georgia, some other states that are very important, swing states. And we have to look at what happened in England with herding, where these pollsters got together and got a certain result that they wanted. And what was the Outcome of the 2015 election in Great Britain: the Conservative Party run. What happened in with the Brexit? They're leaving the EU. None of these were predicted by polls. The spread in the the Brexit vote was four percent. So I'm just yeah. saying we have to be very very suspicious. And you know, my advice to Donald Trump would be: I like your conversational style. I like your the way you talk to people and are so passionate and want to talk truth to people and realize that political correctness is hamstringing our ability to solve problems. But what the media is going to do is they're going to take what you say and completely use it against you. Like, did anybody actually believe that Trump said Hillary should be assassinated? I didn't. Oh, that
2: was one of the absurd ones. Sure. I know. They, they twist everything he says.
4: Well,
1: okay. So, uh, you know, the, these polls... I guess what irritates me about these polls is the fact that four years ago with Romney, I so desperately wanted to believe with Romney that the polls were all wrong, that they were all wet, and that Romney was really ahead, because I thought, how could our nation again elect this horrible man, Barack Obama? Um, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around that concept, and so the only reconciliation for me intellectually was that the polls had to be wrong. Well, guess what? They were right. Um, So I'm not going to be the poll fool this time. I'm going to watch these polls. Uh, I tend to believe these polls. um, And the reason I believe these polls is because basic campaign things Trump is not putting into place. You know, it's great he has these rallies. It's great that the media uh, publicizes and runs these rallies on air for their own purposes and their own motivations. But ultimately, he's got to organize in these battleground states. He's got to open offices. He's got to hire grassroots organizers. He has to buy airtime to run ads. And I have read anywhere from $0 to $817,000 that he has reserved total airtime from now till November. I've, I've seen various different numbers. And then I've seen... On the Hillary side is a comparison that Hillary has reserved ad time anywhere from, I think it's like 57 million to like 98 million. I've, I've seen various numbers. But the point is, Trump, the, the billionaire, is not reserving enough ad time. Right now, we have the Olympics on. This is when everybody is sitting in front of their TVs. You know what they need to be seeing? They need to be seeing wall-to-wall ads about how awful Hillary is and how America cannot endure four more years of Obama's legacy with Hillary at the helm. America, and and you don't even have to show Trump on the picture, just have Hillary. Remind everybody, maybe you're not crazy about Trump, but you, we, our country cannot endure four years of Hillary. That's what should be running on air right now in the Olympics and wall-to-wall from now until November. And, you know, he kept telling us he was rich. So, you know, Donald, you need to open up your wallet and start spending some money. I'm ready. Well, he just raised— You know, the other um,
2: thing—hold on, let me jump in one second here just to say. On this whole battle in this election cycle, there are just so many people who got so upset with Hillary. And this is my opening segment, and I'll say it again— so upset with the direction of the country, the crushing of the economy, our our international weakness, our borders are insecure, our debt was doubled and whatever the number was crazy by this president. I mean, America is so ready for a change that Donald Duck should be able to beat Hillary Clinton, and she is a scandal-plagued person, and yet the polls are showing Hillary's up. So number one, that means that she is benefiting from the media they cover for her they've covered for her from day one she can say anything she wants she can do anything she wants she can look in the camera as she did again recently and say the fbi director comey said i didn't lie to the fbi When you can see she lied to the
4: fbi Here we have a clip right now In both of those instances um, that D- director comey had said that my answers in my fbi interview were truthful that's really the bottom line here. And I have said um, during the interview, and in many other occasions over the past months, uh, that what I told the FBI, which he said was truthful, is consistent with what I have said publicly. So I may have short-circuited it, and for that I uh, you know will try to clarify. Yeah, you know,
2: I, why I wanted to play that is this. I, you talk about, you know, watching the media lying about Trump. You have to watch the way Hillary handles her own things that she's caught at. Hillary said that James Comey said she didn't lie to the FBI. What you have to understand, you have to dive in and understand what exactly she means by that. What she's doing is honing in a tiny little segment of Comey's statements where he said her short interview, which was not under per- penalty perjury, is not recorded, that he didn't know of any lies she told them. That's not the same thing as and this is the talk about Laurie Hillary ad to run. Just run the ads where she says, you know, a, a, a split screen. She's saying, that's right. I, I never lied to the um, I, I, I never said anything that was confidential, uh, super confidential, whatever the categories were. And then James Comey testifying Congress. Yes, she did. I never did this. Yes, she did. I turned over all my work emails. No, she didn't. I mean, these are just devastating That's and maybe right. you political wonks listening to the show, you think that everyone's heard this. Sorry, they haven't. That's Most right. Americans have no idea the depth of this controversy and I think what Trump ought to do, he's got to hit on the issues that will kill her. Tie her to Obamacare. Remind people before Trump, before Obama came along, you actually got to pick your own insurance and your own doctor. Just like Obama promised. He, sh- he has to hit on Obamacare. He has to hit on national security and the failure of this government to protect American citizens from Islamic terror. And he's got to hit on this whole uh, deal with Iran, we've made the world less safe. This is her deal. Hit on her judicial appointments. It's going to take away your freedom of religion. He has so much he can. and I know we're getting him. Yep. My guy over there is trying to tell me to stop talking, but we, she, he's got so much done. Hit, hit on Hillary. She's the target. Come back. We're going to talk to Debbie D'Souza, the wife of Dinesh D'Souza, who has a whole lot to tell you about real life socialism. And welcome back to America. Can we ever talk? Yes, we can. This is Debbie Georgiatis, and we are joined the second hour. My leading ladies here are Lori Medina and Sullivan, and we have online Debbie D'Souza. Hi, Debbie.
5: Hey, how are you? Good to be good
2: to be on. We are very well. We're so happy to have you. And I uh, before the break did not get a chance to uh, Tell our listeners, what we're going to talk about, but Debbie D'Souza. This is not the most famous thing about her, but she is married to Dinesh D'Souza. But the reason I want to talk to her today is I I happened to interview Dinesh D'Souza a few weeks ago. And and his wife, Debbie, was there, and I got talking to her and realizing she is a an outspoken advocate um, and, and awareness raiser about socialism in her own right because she grew up in Venezuela, and so she's very tuned in to the um, issue of socialism, what it really does to a country. So I want to just jump right in and ask you, Debbie, so you spent your life, or your growing up life in Venezuela, and then we had Chavez come along in December of 1998, so how has socialism impacted how has it changed venezuela
5: um well let me let me back up before before talking about uh when he came on board um so i was born in in 1966 in venezuela it was a very prosperous country it was uh you know run by private industry oil um we had pretty much every amenity known to man Uh, my father was venezuelan my mother was actually a American she was from Texas and she taught um, in Venezuela and married my dad so we basically uh, I grew up there till i was, till the age of ten and so um it was a very prosperous time in Venezuela and through the years they basically started uh going down i guess uh, a lot of uh poverty and um you know what? There's a big echo. I don't. I'm not really sure if it's because of my um, cell phone or or what it is. But
2: you know, okay, maybe, I can tell you we don't hear we don't hear it at this end. I'm so sorry. I don't know if Neil can do anything about that. She's saying there's an echo in the uh, line. Yeah, but... This,
5: when I speak, there's okay. Now
2: it's that. Time. Do you have it on speaker?
5: Okay. I don't have it on speaker, but now I can't. Okay, hear it anymore, Debbie. So this we is lose really you? Okay, gotcha. Do you have me? Yes, we do. Yes. Okay. So anyway, so. Going back to the um, administration, what happened was the, the country was, uh, was prosperous, but the, the center-right party, which was Kobe, was the, um, the one that was actually running the country, and they became a little, pretty much corrupt. And so what happened was people were, um, you know, they were wanting some change in the country, and unfortunately, because of that change... Uh, a man by the name of Hugo Chavez came on, and he uh, basically preached hope and change. Uh, people were fooled by him because he he said that uh, he was not a socialist, and uh, even my my own grandparents voted for him. Uh, they, you know, he 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 lied to the to the Venezuelans, uh, saying that he would never nationalize anything, and that was pretty much the first thing he did. Um, but uh, but the tactics basically, I, I in ninety nine was uh, was when he came into power, and one of the things that uh, compelled me to actually start talking about it, even before you know uh, Obama in our country, was was the fact that I was noticing a a very very similar pattern with the left in Venezuela and the left in the United States, mainly primarily by their tactics and their policies. So um, so basically, um, you know, they, they used climate change legislation, uh, the ultimate control under the guise of saving the planet. They used um, anti-obesity campaigns to control what people ate, um, gun control legislation, all of those things that we, we, we equate to the Democrats, they did. Uh, universal health care, um, and then tactics you know, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, war on poverty, uh, class warfare, they divide people. I mean, it it was just so similar. It was quite scary.
2: Okay, I can hardly write notes fast enough as I'm listening to your answers, Debbie. We're speaking with Debbie D'Souza, who spent a part of her childhood in Venezuela and uh, followed the situation in Venezuela as a country has been sadly and, and badly transformed by socialism. And we're talking specifically, though, about the tactics used by the original, uh, the Hugo Chavez, who was elected in December of 1998 and became the head in 1999, but the tactics used to sell his ideas. He swore he wasn't a socialist, but you just listed a bunch of bullet points that are exactly what the American Democrats say today. I'm leaving Bernie Sanders out of it. Allegedly mainstream Democrats Absolutely. And you know the really funny thing is when I tell
5: other Venezuelans about that, they're like, No, that can't be. And I'm like, Okay, so Hugo Chavez absolutely loved, loved, love, love Jimmy Carter. He loved the Clintons. He 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 was not really sure about Obama, but he liked him. He hated, hated, hated Bush, Bush Senior, uh, W and and Ronald Reagan. So, when I tell them that, I'm like, why is that why do you think that that's the case? Why do you think Hugo Chavez did not like the Republicans and absolutely adored the Democrats? Could it be because they share the same ideology? <laughs> and so they were like speechless. They just don't even know what to say. but uh, but basically, yes, debbie, they uh, they subscribe to the same tactics. They love to divide people, uh, you know, in Venezuela. I don't know if, if most people know this, but Venezuela is, is primarily made up of, of just—it's uh, a, it's, it's a culture like ours. It's multicultural. People come from, came from Europe, Africa, uh, the Orient, um, the Middle East. And so um, Hugo Chavez kind of liked at the beginning to, to pit people one, one against the other, claiming racism, claiming uh, class warfare, you know, demonizing the rich. Um, you name it, and and so yes, when I talk about that, people are like, "Wait a minute, that's what the Democrats do." They they and they demonize the right, like like it's our fault, and they do the exact same thing in Minnesota.
2: I am so, I'm honestly, this is a rare thing for me to say. I'm almost speechless because I can hardly believe what you're describing. I mean, it's funny because in America, just as one example of things you you talked about people hear climate change and they are concerned about it and they assume the government's acting in good faith and they're just really are concerned about climate and you know conservatives have been saying for years no it's a vehicle to take control it's a vehicle to vehicle to crush liberty to crush and you're saying it's exactly oh, yes. what chavez did I, i'm blown away okay oh, absolutely oh my gosh okay well i want to turn and just I, I i'm venezuela because i frequently mention venezuela on my radio show because i'm trying to point out that what Bernie Sanders, and frankly the American Democrats stand for, is socialism, and look how miserable miserable it makes you. I wonder if you, did you see the story that the Venezuelan government is actually talking about forcing Venezuelans to work on farms because of a food shortage? Oh yeah,
3: oh yeah.
5: It's not surprising, uh, because basically they, um, so so Maduro, who's the now president, I should say, uh, you know, Hugo Chavez, as many people know, uh, passed away in 2013 of cancer, and so Mabuza was his vice president, and he took over the country. And um, so, um, anyway, he uh, he is he's crazy, and he was a very very uneducated man. So you can imagine a left winger with no education. So deadly oh. <laughs> Company. Yeah, he came in and started, you know, just making all these decrees and, and declarations, and that's just one of many um you know uh, basically saying that people have to farm if they want to eat if they want vegetables if they want you know uh fruit if they if they basically want just your your basic goods um because there is such a shortage in Venezuela people you know I, this just it broke my heart i saw a a um uh an article about people actually eating domesticated animals dogs and cats yep. because no beef. And and I couldn't even believe it. My my aunt, I still have family in Venezuela, and, and my aunt um, has talked about that a little bit, but she lives out in the country um, and she's in her 80s. And thankfully, she's a little oblivious to what's going on because I, I just can't even imagine what she is feeling uh, when she sees the country that she loves and loved uh... go down in flames like this. It's basically a failed state. So so yes, Maduro um, has issued those types of decrees. Now, I don't know if they can actually implement them because it's very difficult to do, forcing people to, to leave their jobs um, and then go and work the farms. I mean, I can't even imagine how they would even do that. But, um, but yes, it is one of his wacky, crazy ideas that he has uh, among many
2: yeah we are speaking with debbie de souza and frankly this is the fastest i always say this two-hour show is my fastest two hours of the week and these segments are very short i want to thank you this was a short college course on reality check on socialism debbie de souza thank you so much for calling and i really love talking with you thank you oh thank
5: you thank you take
2: care take care okay folks you know we're going to zip off to a break in a moment here but i really love having someone speaking from the first person I'm telling you what life is really like under socialism because no matter what Bernie says or Hillary says, anything anyone tells you about redistribution as a noble goal, it always involves crushing your freedom. And that is why we must stop Hillary in this campaign season. Okay, we're going to talk the Olympics about the Olympics after the break. Lots of good stuff. Lots of really gnarly stuff. Don't go away. And welcome back to America, Can We Talk? This is Debbie Georgiadis I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, without whom this show would not be possible. I want to thank GC Works. They are a Dallas-based company. They perform research in advanced technology, and they deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. So grateful for their support. Okay. The music, Can You Hear Us Now? Well, I was thinking when it was playing, it's like, uh, you, it's too bad you couldn't hear us on the break. Because here's the problem. Two hours a week is not long enough for all we have to say about America and everything going on. I mean, I have to throw out, you know, 99 out of 100 stories to, to decide which ones to speak about every week. So I want to turn back and talk to, we want to go back a little bit to Donald Trump. And talk about the, um, you know, that what I was trying to say in the opening segment is, you have to step back, look at the big picture in America, the trend, we can't stay on this path, we have to change. The only avenue to prevent Hillary Clinton from continuing America's slide to socialism, weakness, ruin, and every other ugly thing is Donald Trump. So... I want to talk about what he is trying to do, what he needs to do to win this election. And Mari, was, she listened to his economic speech is one thing. Plus, she was also talking about something. Go ahead and say what you were saying off air.
4: Well, his economic speech was excellent. And uh, one of the things that is so apparent is I'm sure you heard Hillary's so-called Freudian slip about raising middle-class taxes. That's going to be a real good campaign pitch for her, let me tell you, in our subpar economy. And she will not even pledge that she won't raise middle tax classes and taxes, I should say. And my point is that I wake up every day and I see headlines and actions in the world that terrorist attacks, the economy in distress. And Hillary is a disaster. The reason we're waking up in chaos every day is because of Obama's leadership and Hillary's leadership. So I just want to say that I think Obama, I think Trump is making great strides in getting the positive message across that will get him elected because 70, 70% of the people in this country know we are going in the wrong direction.
2: Yeah, and you, I, I would agree with all that. We need a new direction. Uh, we um we need a candidate on the conservative side as able to articulate what the direction is, what the economic plan is, what the military plan, the ISIS plan. He and then he needs to be on the money talking about Hillary and her record because to your point, Mari, I think so many Americans honestly almost hate to turn on the morning news or turn on your Twitter feed or turn on your computer to look at the because you're going, where's the next uh, you know, attack on a police officer going to happen? Where's the next Islamic terrorist attack going to happen? What happened last night? People are tired of it. They want to feel safe and everything is like you you. You can't blame every single thing in the last eight years on President Obama, but the overall picture of where we are in this world, where America is, is a direct result of the political ideology of the American left. It's a result of their weakness, their failure to appreciate America's greatness and uniqueness, their failure to stand up for it. It is their worldview, their socialistic worldview. They're just... Utter antagonism with everything America stands for. This is why we are where we are today, because of the views of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. So if we're on the wrong track, you got to get on the Trump train. I don't like him. I didn't vote for him. I didn't choose him. But he's the only vehicle we have. And on many issues, he's saying a lot of good things. We, he may need to work on his tactics, and what Lori's pointing out about you have to have—he's got to be getting into the swing states more. He's got to get setting his programs, his his campaigns, his workers. His whole setup has to be more structured. And, you know, he's—but honestly, he's, he's saying a lot of things that America—that he said in the primary that people want to hear. I want America to be great again, strong again. I want to free—he's saying those things, but you know what? Right now, he's not— he 's not doing well enough to get to the average Joe who 's not going to sit through and listen to his economic speech they 're not going to listen to speeches at rallies they 've got to hear some bullet points and they 've got to hear the danger hillary poses but we 're going to, We want to switch because it is the week of the Olympics. We want to switch gears and talk about a little bit of the stories of the Olympics this year america 's obviously um uh what I can't think of a polite way to say. It. We're just doing great over there. We're just uh we're getting a Chicken um kicking
1: butt. Go ahead and say it. Kick,
2: <laughs> I never Come say on. that expression, but we're kicking, we're kicking uh rear ends. Okay. But Lori had a couple there were great stories kind of <laughs> shining about what America's all about. Lori was gonna tell you one.
1: Well, you know, I was just excited to talk about this little Simone Biles. Uh you know, four foot eight dynamo, arguably one of the greatest gymnasts ever lived. And she's from Little Spring, Texas. Our fellow Texans. Yes, exactly. Um, You know, but uh, the press, when they were talking about, you know how they do all these stories and their profiles of the people and everything. and So they've made a big fuss and they've talked a pretty extensively about Simone Biles, the fact that uh, her parents are, are actually biologically uh, her grandparents. And they've, they've talked quite a bit about that, and they've, they've talked about the situation, about how her, her birth mother uh, was on drugs and uh, heavily addicted uh, you know, to drugs and alcohol, and uh, the grandparents actually adopted Simone and her sister. And so the press has made a big deal that the grandmother and grandfather, they're not really the grandfather and grandfather. They're really just their mom and, you know, mom and dad, which is so awesome. But I, I, the point I wanted to make tonight, Debbie, was that if the American left and if Planned Parenthood and Hillary Clinton had their way, Simone Biles would not be winning gold medals in the Olympics right now. Shouldn't be here. Simone Biles would not be alive. If if Simone Biles' uh, mother and grandparents had been listening to Planned Parenthood, they would have taken Simone Biles' mother to Planned Parenthood and she would have had an abortion because she's the exact profile that they go after uh, to, to abort babies like Simone Biles. Yeah, uh, low income, low black, income drug black, addicted. Drug addicted, that's right. And, you know, th- the question is what other Simone Biles? have been aborted how many other children that could have achieved such greatness like Simone Biles that were aborted
2: yeah it's a great thing you look a person in the face in fact we have we all three of us have a dear friend who's whose uh, presence on earth is a result of her mother having an, a liaison with a married man. And, and you know, the mother was encouraged many times to abort. And, you know, she said, no, I'm going to go forward and have this child. And now this woman is a peer of ours, a friend of ours. And, um, you know, look at a person, an adult with all the skills and talents and qualities. and You think that that was that was, you know, someone thought of that at some point as just a choice and, and a choice a mother made. But it was a life. And that's right, yeah, it, it's really very precious. Well, I was going to comment on the Olympics. Um, you know I'm just I, I love watching of course I love watching America win but I also love kind of the reflection of um, the goodness of America and all these young sweet faces and hard, I mean just imagine I mean our son you know our youngest one played college basketball and that just that little bit of athleticism involved years and years and years of you know and I mean there was a t-shirt I saw once that said um my girlfriend is basketball. I mean, basically, <laughs> I have no time for a social life. Right. All I do is go to camp, uh, and then I go to tournaments, then I go to camp. I mean, so these people live their lives. To, mm-hmm. And this is, I love That's about right. the human spirit. Yes. I want to be the best mm-hmm. swimmer, whatever it is, gymnast. But other things I saw at the Olympics, I want to mention, because I think it's really important, a reflection of where we are in this world, where we are in America and in this world is not exclusively due to President Obama. But it is true that the left-wing ideology has embraced, has, has taken over this country, and it is, see, America seen as weak in the world. America is seen as less of a presence, a standard bearer for liberty and goodness, and frankly, less of a friend of Israel. So we've had, in this Olympics, we've had numerous instances of just ugly, ugly anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is on the rise in Western Europe. They don't perceive an America that cares or cares enough about Israel. And in, your, in, this, uh, in these Olympics, we had the Lebanese Olympic, the entire Olympic team from Lebanon, who were on the bus from the hotel to the hotel to the site where they're they going to have their events. And they were supposed to share the bus with the Israeli um, team, entire team. And the Lebanese wouldn't let the Israeli team on the bus. I mean, block the doors, push the doors, block the windows, would not ride on the same bus. Now, I think personally that the entire team, the Lebanese team, should have been just kicked out, sent home. Mm -hmm. There have been numerous other instances like that. One involving, I think it was judo, one of those uh, style of competition where it's a one-to-one person, and it was a a male event. Sweaty Egyptian. a Saudi Egyptian?
1: No, a sweaty Egyptian.
2: Sweaty Egyptian, okay. (laughs) Okay, so an Egyptian guy um, was involved in this, and he was in in the judo match against an Israeli who handily defeated him. And the, the custom is, in the judo world, in the Olympics, you finish your event, you stand up and you shake hands. This guy from Egypt would not shake the Israeli's hand. Would not shake the hand of a Jewish man. And the Israeli was fairly, I mean, you know, he wasn't obnoxious, but he really, he didn't just kind of stick his hand out and walk away. He, he followed him a few steps, held his hand out, and the, and the Egyptian wouldn't touch him. And so back to our guest, Nani Darwish, talking about how people raised in Islam view the world, how they feel it's their job to commit jihad how they feel it's their job to kill anyone who won't convert. Among the main things that you have to understand if you're going to be supportive of this um, this pro-Islamic ideology of the American left is that Islam teaches profound hate of all Jews. You should read Nani Darwish's book, many others. They're taught. We have one minute, 45 seconds. Laurie, no, something.
1: just real quick. For all the millennials out there listening, that is a real example of racism. Not these trumped up things that the leftist and to tries to convince you of. That's real racism.
2: Oh, it is. It's so ugly. And it's really important to understand, as Nani Darwish was telling us, Nani Darwish was saying, jihad and all this violence that is coming from Islam, it's not people perverting islam it's people following it mm-hmm. it's people find the teaching so you're seeing this played out even at the olympics well i wanted to mention that story because i think the olympics i you know people around the world tune them in it's so exciting and you know we're jumping up and down clear, cheering for swimmers and all that at our house and i'm sure around the country we were but it's a reflection the anti-semitism we're seeing there is a reflection of world thought of the countries they came from, the governments they came from, and this was okay in their view. They're not worried about going, uh, getting home. Like the American team would be worried if they came back or if they treated someone like that. They would know they would be in trouble with American people, probably with the American Olympic Association. Those other, they're not worried about that. In fact, the Egyptian guy, there was some uh, journalist who wrote about him said, "Oh yeah, you know he's smart. He would have been in trouble if he had shaken his hand." If he had shaken the hand of a Jewish man. So, you know folks, we're about out of time. This is America Can We Talk. I want to urge you to follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can Talk. Go to our brand new website, org, and go to our Facebook page, pay, Facebook page for America Can We Talk. Like it, comment, share. We love talking truth about America. Come back every week. We'll talk to you in a week.
0: Thank
1: you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth about America.
0: You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.